listeners, Kathy Lawless, Life Story Curator. I'm all about capturing and curating career and life stories as a meaningful way to celebrate a milestone moment like a big old birthday, anniversary, retirement, or graduation. And I'm at my best when curating photo books that move your memories from the basement or your phone or your computer to the coffee table, giving you and your family and friends access to these treasured memories for years to come. I also love curating and capturing life and career stories through this podcast series, How Did I Get Here? It's a series of interviews designed for people just starting out in their careers, people in transition or possibly feeling stuck, and giving them access to the stories of people who have been there, done that, so that they might be inspired with some new ideas or maybe just comforted knowing they are not alone, that everybody starts somewhere and everybody goes through times of transition and times when they feel stuck. Today, I'm very excited to be interviewing Margot Zayer. Welcome, Margot. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure. And Margot is a life empowerment coach and author. And so we'll get to find out a little bit more about what that's about here in a minute. Before we jump into today's interview, let's hear a word from our sponsor, Life Story Curator, a testimonial from one of their very happy clients. Oh my gosh, if you're considering hiring Kathy Lawless to do a book for you, you need to do it. My name is Ann DuPont and I'm Chair Emeritus of a nonprofit that's been based in Denver called The Leadership Investment. And after 20 plus years of being in business, we decided we had to celebrate and commemorate all of the great work we'd done and the impact we'd had in the Denver community. So we hired Kathy Lawless and Life Story Curator to help us do exactly that. And I've got to tell you, the result was, has been simply outstanding. And we went into it a little bit of fear, thinking, is this going to be too much work? Can we really take this on? And Kathy just made it absolutely painless. She was fun. She was creative. She broke the work into bite-sized pieces that we could really take hold of and get done. And she just made it a lot of fun. We had a lot of laughter along the way. And the feedback from the members of our organization, from the staff, the community, the volunteers, has simply been outstanding. It has really done quite a remarkable job of capturing the essence of everything we achieved over 20 years. So if you're thinking about doing something like this for your organization, for your career, for your family, I would highly recommend it and I would absolutely say that Kathy Lawless and Life Story Curator is the person for you. But listeners, as you know, I always like to start with the icebreaker questions. So Margo, if you would, tell us about where you grew up, in the, where in the world or where in the country, uh, where you are in the birth order in your family, and kind of how both of those things, the ge geography and your birth order, shaped you as a person. Okay, well, first of all, I'm the eldest of two. I have a younger brother who's about two years younger than me. And um, we actually moved around a ton. So I was born in Louisiana, lived there about five years and then moved to Colorado and, and was really part of about three different communities in Colorado, in the Front Range area. Um, and I would say being the eldest um, taught me to be, or put me in a place to be more responsible and kind of in charge of my life and being the one that really helped my mom out a lot because she, um, she, my, my parents were divorced when I was five. So there was a lot of single parenting as part of my life. 
uh, and some of that back and forth. You're living with mom for part-time, living with dad part-time, that kind of thing? Or Actually, my, my father really wasn't part of my life. I only saw him about um, 10 to 20 times. Um, so I, I basically grew up in an environment where my mother was kind of my sole provider and I was really there to support her and give her and help her. I really felt I was kind of a young adult, even at a young age, I was kind of an adult. Yeah, <laughs> so, you, you had to grow up kind of fast, huh? <laughs> yeah, I grew up pretty fast being the helper caretaker kind of person. Yeah. So did you get to do anything fun or did you do sports or dance or? What were your activities as a young person? Well, what I was really passionate about was France and French in particular. And what I did was I went to France and um, for two different summers and stayed with French families when I was a teenager and really loved that experience and got to see, you know, a lot of France. Actually, they drove me around. We visited different areas and regions. Um, and that pushed me later on you're here to go and study in France. And eventually I lived in France. Oh, wow. So what, what was it that got you interested in France to begin with at such a young age? Well, my mother actually was a French teacher. Oh. And so I had grown up with already the thought of like, Ooh, that's a cool language. I want to learn French when I'm, you know, the right age. So I started learning it when I was 12 and she ended up meeting a man who became my stepfather who ran international exchange programs. And that's how I got him, became oh, so a part of it. French teacher as a mom, exchange student as a dad, but it's just common. I guess that just was meant to be that you would. It was meant to be. <laughs> I became very interested in other people and cultures, other cultures, and not just French, but also learned Spanish. And became, um, that's what really, I think, pushed me in the direction of international business, which is originally what I studied. Yeah, yeah, of course it would, right? If we've got that flavor, you already recognize the world is bigger than your little community, right? And it's, and how do you want to learn more about it? Very cool. Okay, well, I'm sure we'll hear more about your story in that vein uh, coming up here. So I'm going to switch gears just a little bit. Are you an introvert or an extrovert? I would say I'm most likely an extrovert. I know that sounds funny. In a lot of situations, I'm an extrovert and occasionally it seems like I'm an introvert, but I understand the definition to be that you get energy from being around people. And so I think I'm an extrovert. You're an extrovert. Okay. And then I did learn about the ambivert. Um, would you say that's a, you know, you're kind of in the middle or more? Yes. More? There are certain situations where I feel like I become almost an introvert. Too many people, too big a crowds. Um, I don't really like large amounts of people, but I do love to like throw a party. I'm, I'm considered among my friends, like the hostess, but the mostest, um, oh. a lot of theme parties. Okay. Uh, then I'm going to keep you in the extroverted category there. If you have that title, then yes. I think that usually is where that, <laughs> where that puts you. So, okay. Uh, shifting gears just a little bit on the fun meter on a scale of one to five, one being a couch potato and five being the life of the party. <laughs> We already heard you the hostess. So uh, where would you put yourself? One to five. I think I'm about a four. Oh, just a four. Okay. Okay. I don't think I'm the entertainer. Like, you know, the five, I would put somebody who's always cracking jokes and in the middle. I don't know if I'm like the hundred percent entertainer, but I'm the one who's, I'm having fun. I'm dancing, putting on some fun music. I'm making sure everybody's happy, getting some good drinks out and food. But the five for me is the one that really stands out, you know, makes the jokes. Everybody's laughing. They, they're kind of the entertainer of the party 
Ah, okay. Well, I appreciate the definition there because I think we all have <laughs> our own definition, right, of what that means. So cool. Okay. On the risk meter, same scale, one to five, one being low risk taker, five being a high risk taker, where do you put yourself? Ooh, that's a great question. I think that I put myself probably about a 3.5. Ah, we're going in the middle. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, there's certain situations where I've definitely been into taking risks, like when I was um, in my early 20s, and I moved to France, I literally moved to France without really having much of a plan. That was pretty risky. Um, and I when I gave up my corporate job, we'll talk later, that was pretty risky, because I gave something up. And though there are other areas in my life where I've stayed stuck in situations for a long time, where I could have I think if I'd been more willing to take a risk, I would have gotten unstuck faster. Ah, okay. So some risks here, not so many risks over. Yeah. Isn't it funny at different points in our life, how risk-taking uh, is we're just, it, that's us. And then other times we're risk averse. There's just different things going on and different uh, factors. So. Yeah. I think it depends on what, when the age, but also what we feel we have to, you know, to lose. So the fear of like loss and how strong that is at that particular time in your life. So I think I was much more into taking risks in my twenties and thirties, obviously. Yeah. When you didn't have as many, maybe as much responsibility or obligations, things of that nature. Yeah. Okay. Right. Well, cool. I, I love how those questions, we just get to know you a little bit. And then as we yeah. hear your story and hear how you moved through your journey, uh, then we hear how all that plays out. So very cool. Well, let's start off. Tell us a little bit about what it's like to be a life empowerment coach and author, and then we'll get into how did I get here? Okay. So I really, my mission is about helping women get unstuck in their lives and really helping them become unstoppable. So it's really about helping people and specifically women, but I do work with men sometimes, um, figure out what is holding them back from being the best they can be and really going after those dreams that they're not going after. Whether it's like a new career, whether it's, hey, I really want to go around the world. I want to see the world. Whether it's writing a book, maybe getting into a new relationship or leaving a relationship. But it's really those places where you feel like you're kind of in a cage, like oh my gosh, why am I living this way? And what's stopping you? So I, what I love about it is that I have a lot of tools. I use something called the Enneagram and different tools to help people stop sabotaging themselves and really feel, find the patterns that are holding them back from really stepping into their power and reclaiming their power. And so that's, what's fun for me is to help really create an awareness of what's going on especially those kind of more unconscious patterns that we don't even really know are running the show. Yeah, very cool. Well, that goes right with what we were talking about on risk, right? I think sometimes when we age, we don't even know why we're not taking risks anymore or that maybe we used to take risks, right? We're just kind of maybe in a pattern or in a situation where we don't think we have options or uh, or maybe a new opportunity or where something fear maybe starts to take over and you don't even know it, right? Right. And I think fear is a big word for me and my experience. And the thing I've had to work probably the most on in my life is actually how to work with fear and have a healthy relationship with it. And in my book, I have a book called the golden cage from entrapment to empowerment. That really is about what I call this thing called the golden cage, where it looks beautiful from the outside world. I say that it's the golden and gleaming your life. Maybe you have this prestigious career. I had a very prestigious career 
Oh, in France, in Pro I was working for Procter and Gamble as a brand manager in Paris. Like that's really considered prestigious for a lot of people in the marketing realm. But I was really miserable. I was felt trapped. And what was keeping me in that cage and when I had kind of built this cage around me that I, I have to stay in this career no matter what was the fear of the unknown, the fear of not being able to support myself financially. So I think it's the fear that really holds us back from being successful. And it's what I've really spent most of my life working on myself is how to overcome fear, but not just overcome it, almost befriend fear and know that it's a part of life, but I'm not going to let it stop me. Yeah, that is, it's something that does come up for people, but yeah, you're right. How can you not let it stop you? I, I love you talk about that golden cage. You know, I've done several interviews um, with, you know, you know, corporate executives and that kind of comes up, well, what's that next thing that, that looks right from the outside, right? That, that my, you know, this I notion that I need to be, my career needs to go up and to the right, uh, you know, that I just keep need to take that next big job of responsibility. And this should be the next logical step for me. And the word should, should, should starts coming all over you. And it's like, boy, I'm, I'm not happy or what, what I really want to do. I remember talking to a friend and she was already like a chief people officer. And one of the questions at this icebreaker event we were at event was, you know, what would you really want to do? And she's like, I would love to be an interior designer. I'm like, well, why don't you, you know, oh no, I can't. Cause you know, I'm a primary breadwinner and I'm this and I'm that. And I got to, you know, and she just continued to then go on to the next chief people officer role and the chief people officer role, which was serving her in a way. But then, you know, what she really wanted to do was be an interior designer. <laughs> Well, in your, in your heart becomes pretty sad. I mean, you're just, your energy is low and you're unmotivated and people are like, well, life's just, a, a lot of people are just settling. And I guess I was really settling in that role. And I'd later discovered in the shows in the book about how I was also settling in my marriage and my relationship and really not allowing myself to be in one that really met my needs and made me happy because I thought, okay, well, everybody else thinks I should be here. It looks beautiful from the outside world. I guess I should be happy. What's wrong with me? I should be happy here. <laughs> yeah. And from the outside world. Yeah. That, that exactly. Really so, matter. <laughs> but it does right for a long time. So it really matters a lot. <laughs> well, very cool. So Tell us then, as a young person, you mentioned, you know, being and wanting to go to France, which you did, and then you got into international business. Uh, did you always want to be a life empowerment coach and author? Was that kind of in the plan? Well, no, first of all, I don't think coaching existed when I was younger. I never heard of it. <laughs> never heard of life coaching. So my original plan was to go into international business, which I did and work in Paris. I really wanted to work in France. So I did it. And I accomplished my goal of you know, working for Procter & Gamble in marketing and having this prestigious career, but I was really miserable, like seriously miserable. Like I would hide out in the bathrooms at lunchtime or go on these escape, you know, walk in the woods instead of doing my work. Like I was just, it was not the right environment for me. And so <laughs> I, you're yeah. an extrovert, you're fulfilling your dream. So what about it was, you know, was it just the work itself? Was it the interacting with people or what was really kind of causing the misery? Great question. Um, one of the things is that it's kind of um, about, there's a lot of bureaucracy. Yeah, I can't say, and I'm going to re try to repronounce that word. It's bureaucratic. There's a lot of systems and procedures that have to be followed to the letter. And so what I found out is that we were spending a lot of our time, I was spending a lot of my time, um, writing documents and rewriting the same documents like 10 times like proposals and action plans and 
And there was a lot of that kind of detailed work that I felt was a waste of time. I honestly felt like I was accomplishing almost nothing. So that was the first problem. And the second was a sense of purpose. I was missing a sense of purpose because how exciting is it or how important is it to the world to sell detergent and better detergent? You know, like what's really the difference between the brands? I was like, I don't really care about detergent. So I had no sense of really connecting to my heart or like something I really cared about. Um, so I started noticing that I had no sense of purpose at work. I was just doing the thing because I was being paid well. And so I think purpose and happiness are related. Yeah. Well, and that's not uh, probably covered in international business uh, degrees, right? <laughs> right. I mean, I was all caught up in the prestige and I'm like, I want to live somewhere else. I don't live in France. You know, I want to make good money. I want to, you know, I just had this kind of vision of this career being something that it really wasn't for me at all. And um, it was stressful. Um, I didn't have a lot of um, opportunity to really explore who I was because I had to follow these very strict protocols. And so I kept thinking also that I was honestly, um, my self-esteem really suffered a lot because I had a couple bosses that were quite mm, intense and they had very specific ideas about how things should be done. And I was failing to do things the way they wanted me to do it incorrectly, at least the first time. I kept having to rewrite things. And so my self-esteem went kind of plummeted in my early 20s. Um, I was really suffering from low self-esteem and mm -hmm. doubt about who I was and if I had any worth at all really to the organization anyway. Like I felt almost like a um, an imposter. Yeah. You're kind of like, how did I even get here if I'm not good enough to do it and do it right? And yeah, not, not a good feeling. Yeah. So that really set me on a, a sort of a journey. Um, I, I kind of hit this real bottom where I was really unhappy and doubting who I was and if I had anything to offer the world and really just utterly miserable. <laughs> and unfortunately, Kathy, I have a wonderful mother. Um, who's highly supportive and very knowledgeable and I think an amazing being. And she said, you know what, you really need to do some personal growth work and, and um, do some work on your self-esteem and self-love. And so because of that, I kind of embarked on this, on a journey um, of doing um, different hypnotherapeutic exercises and techniques and journeys to work on some of the roots of what was causing my self-esteem challenges. And then I did some self-love exercises. I did this protocol for about three months that was pretty deep and intense. Wow. How did you find these programs that worked for you? Did she suggest some of them? Well, my mother actually, sorry to interrupt you. My mother had actually become a certified hypnotherapist about a year earlier. And I told her about what was going on and that I had a, well, specifically a lot of um, uh, unhappiness and frustration and um, self-worth issues around my relationship with my boss. And she's like, oh, I think a hypnotherapy session around that would be really helpful. So she had a friend of hers that she set me up with. And I came back from France and spent a couple of weeks here in Colorado and did basically hypnotherapeutic processing almost every day for two weeks and really went deep into this and found some of the root causes of my self-esteem challenges. Um, 
And at the end of it, I really got that I had been operating in this place of less than with my boss and not standing in my power with her and thinking that she had all the answers and I had none of the answers. And I was just a really disempowered place. And so I went back and I, and I kind of tackled my whole way of being differently at work. And surprisingly, or not surprisingly, about three months later, I was promoted in my, and I got a new boss. I got out of that situation actually. And she eventually, this one that I had a challenge with apologized to me and said that um, she realized that she had kind of mistreated me in different ways because of some of her own personal challenges. Mm. Her, her own probably insecurities and less thans and all that stuff right. going on. Yeah. Wow. So, you know, I don't think I've interviewed anybody who has talked about hypnotherapy. So I thank you for sharing that because, you know, I, I've done some internal work myself, a lot of personal development here and there. I've talked about it in different interviews and it is difficult to reprogram that little voice and that critic and, right. and, and turn the volume down, whatever you want to call it. And so hypnotherapy, did you, did you feel different? I mean, did all of a sudden you kind of like after the first session, or I guess maybe after the two weeks of, did you kind of go, man, I'm, I've kind of let it go and it, and it didn't resurface or tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. It's, I started feeling different like right away. Like I think every single session, I knew that something was changing the side of me and I just became stronger and more convinced that I was who I was and that was okay. I did not have to fit in exactly and be something I was not. And I was able to start reclaiming my power and, and it started a journey. I mean, like I basically, I did a lot of years of different kinds of therapeutic techniques, but what it really did for me in the, in the hypnotherapy world was allow me to really understand the power of the subconscious mind, how to access it and how important it is for kind of reprogramming yourself and clearing up past um, trauma and negative experiences. So I eventually became a certified hypnotherapist myself. Oh, well, I was going to be my next question. <laughs> Are you telepathic too then? <laughs> Now I, yeah, I, I got so excited about hypnotherapy that I, I um, quit my job in, with Procter & Gamble and went back to school. And part of that going back to school was getting certified as hypnotherapist. I got a master's degree in psychology too at the same time. Oh, wow. Wow. So you go through the hypnotherapy, you're different now at work. And is that when you started doing that whole realization? Okay, I'm not connected and aligned purpose and value wise. So I need is the, what was making me unhappy. I can change it. It's a situation. It's a set of circumstances, right? What do I want to do now? Right. Well, really what happened to Kathy is I realized that my, um, like later teen years and early twenties that I was really into, um, psychology and always been, I've been reading a ton of books about the topic, had a lot of conversations. I was really into the topic and I did think that, I wanted to help people be more empowered. I wanted to help people feel good about themselves and really get over some of the negative programming. I'd always kind of thought that, but I always said, oh, you know, I can't make any money doing that. That's, I mean, how would I ever really make any money doing that? Well, my mother started making money doing it. And I was like, well, maybe she, if she can do this, maybe there's something in here. And then I was just like, you know what? I need to follow what I really care about. I really care about helping other people. And I've always cared about that. And I've never cared about detergent or 
seriously or other oh, brands yeah. like that I don't care about that kind of thing I'm more about personal development so that's why I went back to school and and you know went into the master's program and started studying a lot of um, I guess different kinds of psychotherapeutic techniques not just hypnotherapy yeah. I became an EMDR facilitator I did gestalt therapy and eventually I did this thing called the journey program too that I became a part of in 2003 so it's another way of basically accessing some deeper kind of subconscious programming so that's what I sort of specialize in even today as a life coach is that I have this, these techniques and I help people um, really access their blocks um, in their from coming from their subconscious mind and reprogram themselves yeah yeah and we all have them but but you're right sometimes there we're more aware of them and uh, we can say okay now I'm aware of this I can re uh, reset or maybe you know change my thought pattern here in this situation other times you just get triggered and you don't even know why you're triggered right and and uh, other times you're just stuck and you don't even know <laughs> that you are stuck until maybe someone points it out or you know some event happens so right yeah it's it's crazy so so when you finished then all this schooling and kind of certifications and stuff, did you kind of finish it first and then decide to launch your own business? Or how did you decide, well, now how can I make money at this? Or how do I, how do I support myself? Well, I was really gung-ho when I finished my hypnotherapy certification. I was like, this is the best thing that's ever happened to me and other people. So I started my hypnotherapy practice pretty much after my certification. I was still in the middle of my, you know, master's degree and I did them both in parallel and I had a thriving hypnotherapy business probably about three months later. I was, I specialized in helping with fears, phobias, and self-esteem issues. Wow. And were you here? Did you move back to Colorado for all of this schooling? And oh, okay. So I moved back from um, Paris to Colorado, which was a really hard decision, probably one of the hardest I've ever made because I loved France so much and my connections with so many beautiful people there. And yet I knew that I was going to get the right kind of schooling and environment to really go after my passion here in Colorado. So I came back here and I started my um, hypnotherapy business and did that for about four years. Uh -huh. And, Until and, the next big thing happened. Yeah, and then the next big thing. <laughs> yeah, so and then I went, I started networking and I joined a networking group. And in that group, I met a life coach. And I was super intrigued by her. And you have to remember, this is about 1999. And I'm like, I've never even heard of this profession. What is this thing called life coaching? And I set up a meeting with her. And as soon as I chatted with her a bit about it, I was like, that's what I've always wanted to do. It was like this big light went on. I was like, oh my gosh, this is me. I want to be a life coach. So I enrolled immediately into um, a certification program by Coach U, which was one of the first coaching schools really out there founded by Thomas Leonard. He was called the grandfather of coaching um, and life coaching in particular. So I went through that program and then I basically switched my business from, you know, a hypnotherapy, psychotherapeutic business to a uh, a life coaching business which I, I can see how the hypnotherapy is a tool then one of the tools probably that you use right in your life coaching and yes I would say that I 
use what I call, I, I call it an emotional release techniques and reprogramming techniques. I use a combination of about four or five modalities um, to help people with that. It's really my own combination because I've had so much different trainings and I figured out the elements that I like to use the most. So they're not really standard hypnotherapy sessions or standard EMDR sessions. It's co combinations or journey sessions, if you've ever heard of any of these words, but it's combinations mm -hmm. of using these tools. And it's like I have it just this big toolbox and I could bring it out and just use 15 minutes of a tool or an hour of different tools based on what's happening in somebody's life. Yeah, or as you say, it just depends on probably each time you have a, a client, right, that they have different needs because people are are so different. <laughs> right. And something that I've learned is that what's most important is that I just focus on what's going on for the person now, and it will take us to kind of what needs to be cleared. And instead of getting the idea like, oh, this is your problem ahead of time, I try to, I kind of follow the dots back to what really is going on at deeper levels inside of them, helping them kind of access deeper levels instead of staying on superficial levels. Mm -hmm. Best way of describing it. Yeah. So this, uh, you reinvented yourself then a couple, three times. Um, yeah. How how has your confidence and self-esteem been as you embark in each one? I mean, do you feel like you've, you just step into the, the excitement of them or do you kind of sometimes go back to the, oh, this is new and different and who am I to, to, to create this or? Oh, I honestly, Kathy, self-esteem and confidence have probably been, you know, an issues my entire existence and different levels of them and I've overcome them. And then, so I'm just even going to take the example of something I'm passionate about, like salsa dancing. I always wanted to salsa dance, but I've really had to overcome so much inner talk about, oh, you're not good enough. You can't do that. What are people think of you to go out and salsa dance? Um, I, I had to overcome that to become a yoga instructor. I actually joined yoga late in life. Unlike everybody else in my yoga teacher training was 25 years younger than me. Like, am I good enough to do this? So that, am I good enough? has been a big thing. And every time I embark in different parts of coaching and I've done, I've had different focuses in my coaching and different programs in my coaching career and different I still can run through that like, oh my gosh, you know, am I good enough for this? Are people really going to see the value in it? Do they really get the value? I know this is good stuff I'm doing, but can they really get it? You know, sometimes there's some obviously, you know, self-esteem or self-worth issues that will come up or confidence issues still, uh, but it's so much lower. Like I would say on the scale, like I've done so much work on this that I don't let it like stop me to the same level as before. You know, maybe it holds me back occasionally here and there. I'm like, okay, I can see it's coming up again. Instead of like totally like shutting me down and really believing in it. I think of it more as a gremlin voice. Like, oh, I got these little voices coming in about that project because I'm taking a little bit of a step outside of my comfort zone. Yeah. That's so what I heard someone the other day to say that very thing. I know when I'm starting to take risk again because the little voice starts to to start you know chipping at me a little bit about uh, am I good enough or is this why am I doing you know but I'm realizing that's when I'm pushing the envelope um and probably stepping in the right direction uh to push you know to push myself and this person was talking about they want to be out there they want to be learning and growing and, and and doing new things so it's important. yeah I mean I think it's actually natural and normal 
for most people, when they step outside their comfort zone, they're going to come through into the fear of the unknown. They're going to come into the, you know, self-doubt is going to be there. All these things are, are there to meet you when you're like, oh, I'm going to step out of my cage or my comfort zone, however you're looking at it. And so really it's about having the tools to move through those, you know, those zones when you're uncomfortable, when you're like stretching and, and, and your, your doubt, your self-doubt can come up depending on who you are. Obviously, there's maybe more self-doubt, maybe there's more perfectionist showing up, different aspects of, I call it sabotaging behavior. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, and we do that. It's, it's funny, I think about young kids and how we encourage them, well, you should be learning and growing and doing new things, right? And you're never, you're not going to be good at something like the very first time you try it. And you think of that encouragement, you think, well, why is it then when I'm 30, 40, 50 that I think I should be good at something the first time I try it and I'm afraid to try new things? You know, it's like, well you know, use that same uh, either parenting or teaching or coaching on yourself and uh, recognize that we, we never really grow out of that. <laughs> I think it's so true. And we forget it. We think as an adult, we should just have our act together at all times. We should be able to master everything we do. And then we should know exactly how to do it and never make a mistake, quote unquote. I don't know if you can really make a mistake. It's just part of a learning journey that you may not do it quote unquote, perfectly the first time you do a program or do an offer or on a podcast or whatever the new thing is you're doing as a business owner. Yeah. I think what I appreciate when is when people will say when they're feeling uncomfortable uh, and, you know, they're being genuine about it, but I'm trying this new thing or here's how I, how it's occurring for me or help me through this, or you've done this before. I mean, you, you can, there's some genuine, if you're being genuine, I think in present uh, and not trying to like, uh, you know, fake your way through it. Cause sometimes that's, that's when you get really uncomfortable and then, and then you feel like you get busted because <laughs> right. something doesn't go as, as you had hoped, or, or you have that perfectionist thing where you got to have it figured out before you even get started. Well, then you'll never get started. Right. And one of the interesting things about, you know, doing life empowerment coaching is that you're never really sure um, how somebody is going to show up your client. I mean, a client's always going to be in a different space. And it's not like you can be prepared for that hundred percent. They're going to be different each and single time you see them, even if you're working on a plan or strategy, there's a lot about just being present, like what really is happening today, letting go of your expectations of how the session should be or what your plan was for their work. And so it's really taught me a lot more about like just being present and being okay with what is today. This is where they're at. Meet, meet people where they're at as a coach is probably one of the more fundamental things to do. Instead yeah. of trying to, trying to like, have your own agenda, you know, set on top of them. Like, oh, this is what we should be doing today. Anyway. Yeah. Cause then you almost apply your own, um, uh, not insecurities, but your own goals for them. Right. Well, we had this plan. We were, you wanted to get here. Well, right. why you're changing the plan now? What, you know, <laughs> that isn't right. going to be helpful. <laughs> A lot about letting go of control. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, this has been fascinating. Tell us a little bit about, so when you work with clients, um, is it, uh, you know, is it a six month program then that they work with you and they kind of have a goal or how, how do you, how do you see your program work? Great question. So, um, I do a program called your empowered life from stuck to unstoppable. And that is basically a 16 week program and you get, you know, modules each week to support you. And the idea behind it, and you also get coaching with, with it. But the idea behind it is that you can actually kind of take 
it as quickly or slowly as you want. You have your 16 weeks to do it, and then you can always access the modules later. They're all videos, right? But what's really helpful, I think, is to help somebody be in a very focused experience during the program. This is 16 weeks I'm committed to really shifting my life, to really looking at what's stopping me and really getting in touch with my heart's calling, my heart's desires, and then setting out, getting into action. Like people get into action. Let's take action steps. What are your commitments? But then look at all the things that, the obstacles that block you. Like how do you handle overwhelm? How do you handle procrastination challenges, right? The big ones. <laughs> how do you handle self-worth issues? All that. So fear, when, when fear comes to visit, how do you handle? So each module, for instance, is about those particular obstacles, also overcoming those in that, you know, 16-week program. So that's like the program version. And I do do tailored individual coaching too. Uh, most people sign up for either a month or three months at a time also for the individual coaching um, program when somebody needs, I would say, more of a tailored approach. Ah, okay. Well, and I think you have a, a another program starting soon, don't you? Yes. Yeah, so yes, yeah, um, mid-July and July, there should be another program starting. And it's really what I call a roller pro rolling program. People can add on to it whenever they need to. It's not one start date. I've been able to orchestrate this in a way where people can add on and keep going. So there's people coming into the program, leaving the program, but you do benefit from your community for also 16 weeks of you know, fellow women working on shifting their life and really making a big change, whatever that change is they want to commit to making. And sometimes they don't even know. One of the exciting things is sometimes you don't even know what it is you want to do. You know, you need to do something different. And so part of this is also about really learning how to get in touch with your heart's calling. Like, what's your real truth? What's, what are you not acknowledging that's really inspires you, that's and moves you forward. I believe everybody has something they're passionate about or inspired by. And a lot of people are just disconnected from it right now. Yeah. So you might be feeling scratchy on the inside and not sure <laughs> what's causing that and what to do next. And then also, I know when I was kind of going through that with my transition and, you know, corporate to what do I want to do next? Another corporate, what is that? You know, there was that, okay, what should I do that looks right from the outside? Right. And then the, what do I really want to do? And then there was that critic going, well, yeah, but you can't get paid for that. And how would that work? And, you know, you, and you shut it down before you even get into it. And so I, yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult. And I think you reach a certain age and it becomes, it becomes a bigger thing. Right. And, and you have, cause you're probably in a bigger job and more money. And then the, so the golden cage is a little bit uh, more, uh, more of a factor than you even re realize because of the comfort zone and all that. Right. It takes a lot of courage to move out of a comfort zone like that, that, that pays you financially well, that other people admire and respect. That actually is the hardest, I think, for a lot of people when they think I should be happy here. And that's, they're shooting on themselves and they're not happy. And they're trying to make themselves happy and think something's wrong with me that I'm not happy. So there's a knowledge they may not actually be following their bliss, you know, may not be for them what they're doing anymore. It could have even been their bliss. This is the other concept people forget is you could have been really happy maybe 10 years ago but you've outgrown that and your heart wants something new and different so mm -hmm. sometimes a beautiful career something you love can turn into a golden cage yeah you've well I also find you know life happens too like in my situation my dad 
just had some health issues and they've been pretty major. I mean, he's, he's pulling through it and all that, but you also have this big reality about mortality and what is really important in life and what are the priorities and, and is it hitting that number that I had that was the goal before I retire, you know, before I go do what I want. And then you start realizing, well, wait a minute, what if all of a sudden I physically can't do that? You know what I, you know, you're like, oh, anyway, there's some real uh, reality, uh, doses of reality that start to come in. Yeah. And I definitely feel that, you know, what's really important is that we each listen to what our heart really wants. Our heart knows the answers, the brain, the mind is really a tricky thing to listen to because it will justify, it will label, it will give you excuses, but the heart doesn't, you know, mislead you. You can trust your heart. Yeah. If you, rem- if you know how to listen to it and not let the brain interpret what you think is your kind of, yeah, no, I've been through that whole heart head thing going, Oh my God, I've been in my head for most of my life. <laughs> I love that Kathy. That's exactly what I teach in one of these modules is how do you really hear the yes and no signals of your heart? It's so key. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Margo, I can keep going all afternoon. Obviously we're connecting on a lot of the levels here, but we do have to start wrapping up. So I have, um, Two closing questions for you. Uh, The first is, when you look back on your career and on your life, uh, what do you think has served you best? And, you know, that can be a strength, a personality trait, maybe a habit. What's served you best? This is difficult to answer because a couple things came to my mind and I'm having trouble choosing. Well, you can, you can share both or multiples then. How about that? It doesn't have to be just one thing. Uh, I think the thing that served me best is really my willingness to confront fear and become friends with fear and realize that fear is a part of my life and it's a part of life and there's nothing wrong with being scared and not, so not letting fear stop me, but really looking at it more as an ally. Okay, fear, I'm going to grab your hand. The two of us are going to march on into this new direction and we can do this. Like accepting fear as part of life instead of thinking something is wrong because I'm scared. That really served me hugely. I think that's the one I'll stick with, but. Ah, okay. I love that. Yeah. Treating it more as a, it's there, it's a thing, um, not something to hide from or avoid, um, but, you know, take it with you. And right. Think of it as an ally or a friend. And that's something that I also work with my clients on is like, okay, let's just grab fear, feel the sensations, your body. Does that need to let you stop you? It's just a sensation, you know, fear and excitement. The difference is so minor for so many people. So anyway, if you're just like, okay, I'm just, I have these butterflies. That's okay to have butterflies. Let's go for it anyway. Don't let your butterflies stop you. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Last question then. Any words of wisdom that impacted you when you were maybe stuck or uh, going through some transition periods in your life that really, again, kind of impacted you and got you maybe out of a funk? I'm going to choose some really easy words. And this is a slogan that we all know. Just do it. Nike really summarized it well. Just do it. It really has helped me hugely as one of my mantras when I'm thinking, oh, should I do that? You know, and I start doubting myself. I'm like, just do it. And so that's been very helpful for me. I love that. I love that it's so simple and, and, and it has become commonplace, but in a way it's not common practice, right? That's kind of the, the point of that. But I will say too, one of my big learnings in life has been when you're in action, 
you feel so much better and you're moving forward and you're moving towards something, even if you weren't sure about the decision, but being in indecision and being in inaction is really where you spend so much angst. And we spend so much time trying to decide, should I do it? And you could, if you'd have just done it, you'd probably be done. <laughs> right. And the thing about it is that you can't really make a wrong turn because everything you do is just part of your learning experience and it helps you down the road. It helps you on your journey. So that would be part of the other thing is that there really isn't a wrong step, a wrong turn. So just do it. Just get out there and start taking action. Okay. You may end up deciding you need to turn right instead of left. That's fine. But put, start putting energy towards your dreams. Yeah, just do it. Well, on those words then, uh, I think we will wrap up. And listeners, if you enjoyed today's interview, please subscribe below so that you'll be alerted when other interviews are posted. And if you have any questions for me or for Margot, I'll post this interview on my website, lifestorycurator.com. And I'll also post links to her programs if you're interested as well on um, getting in touch with her or maybe working with her. So, and then I guess on that note, I will say stay safe, stay well, and let's keep sharing those stories. Have a great day.